Hey folks, if you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to check out our best-selling book. We took all of our stories and learnings, the good, the bad, and especially the ugly, and packed it into one easy read. And right now, for a limited time, you can get the Kindle version on Amazon for just 99 cents. Visit loveasabusinessstrategy.com for more info. Hello and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from. So we believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. I'm your host, Jeff Mom, a director at Softway, which is a business to employee solutions company that creates products and offers services that help build resilience and high performance company cultures. I'm joined today by my co-host, Frank Dana, Frank, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good. It's an honor to be to be named a co-host. Um, it was fa- fantastic. It's news to me. <laughs> well, you're not a guest, so I don't know what else to call you. Because a guy who's because just here hanging out. Our guest is is super cool. Not that you're not super cool, but you know we got to reserve the title guest for only the, the super cool. And that is Mike Yates. Mike Yates has spent his career in the education space, but he has also developed unique perspectives and approaches along the way to how he views schools, teachers, education systems. And I just want to welcome you to the show, Mike. How's it going? Man, doing great. Thanks for having me. Like, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited for the special title as guest. Yes. I'm excited about that. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, can, you I, know, can, I tell you, can I tell you something about Mike real quick? Go ahead. Yeah. So Mike and I were both groomsmen for my brother-in-law's wedding. No, fun fact. And fun fact. And we both received some very interesting gifts. <laughs> being <Yeah>. the <laughs> Mike, can yeah. you describe for us what Brett decided to get us? Um, which I still have. They're like not high in my closet. <laughs> me too. Um, it's funny. I, I have a funny story about that. So Brett decided to get us weapons. Like he gave us just, weapons. Yeah, like an axe with our name burned into the handle. Burned, singed into the handle. Yeah, um, a large knife, like a really large knife um, and a machete. Um, My machete is, is, it it rode around in my trunk for the longest time. Did it? Because I was moving and I put it in there. I forgot it was in there. And um, I I got pulled over, not for speeding, but because I like, (laughs) Like it was, I wasn't pulled over. I was talking to a police officer because there was ice on the road, and I was like headed to work. He was like, "Hey, just so you know, that bridge um, has ice on the road." And he didn't like search my car, but I I thought about that at that moment, and I was like, "Where's my machete? <laughs> it's in my truck." <laughs> yeah. So then it was on the top of my fridge for the longest time. <laughs> like, I, like, oh my gosh! It was the highest place that I could keep it away from my kid. So yeah, like he got us weapons, like really aggressive weapons. Very aggressive. I don't even remember what the point of it was. All I know is the only weapons I have in my house were gifted to me for a wedding. Yep. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) No explanation as to why. There was was some sort of explanation, but I don't remember what it was. All I remember is that I have sharp weaponry in my home. Mm -hmm. Anyway, just wanted to start us off there, Jeff. I wanted to start there. Yeah, Yeah. I can just cancel the icebreaker I had planned for for this. We're done. (laughs) Mike, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of connection between like your experience, the the passion that you have and what you do and what we do here at love is a business strategy. So I'm super excited 
to actually dive into that, learn more about you and draw those connecting lines. Yeah. But we do typically start with an icebreaker. And that question is, what did you receive at your last wedding as a groomsman? Just kidding. That is not, <laughs> that is, that's not the icebreaker question. I do have a question. I'll make Frank go first. So my, you know, the guest yeah. gets some prep time. You have the same question, so you can prepare. Frank, yep. what game show do you think you could win? Probably Supermarket Sweep. Oh, yeah. Because I'm like, I, I've got good brand recall and I enjoy like, I enjoy um, like puzzles in that space and like just fast thinking style things. So I'm thinking like applying my knowledge, my expertise of grocery stores and brands. I've got these little mini, mini brands bags of little brands that I just have on me at my disposal at all times. So I'm always prepared. I've got this McCormick crushed pepper. So I know what that logo looks like. Wait, I got this little how do you, how do you think supermarket sweep works? I'm just, just, so, just so I'm clear. I don't, like, I don't. Do you do the, do you do the grocery shopping in your household? Um, sometimes I do. Yeah. Sometimes. Okay. Cause like knowing the price of things is also part of it. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the red pepper is 15 to $20. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mike, same question. What game show do you think you could win? I mean, I'd be legit at supermarket sweep. Like I, like I'd be so good. Like I can actually tell you that the crushed red pepper from McCormick is actually two thirty-eight at HEB if you go like I know how many for how many ounces how many for the for the four ounce bottle oh my god yeah Yeah, like I I I do all the grocery shopping because I do the cooking in my house Mm -hmm. and so like I can tell you how much like chicken cut like like if I'm nice at supermarket like right now at Whole Foods you can get the air chilled chicken breast look it up $4.99 and if you have that Amazon Prime you get that discount so like I I, I'm (laughs) I'm I'm nice to supermarket sweet, but I also like Wheel of Fortune. There we go. Like, people don't want to see me at Wheel of Fortune. I'm so good at Wheel of Fortune. Like, like <laughs> I so believe good. it. I believe like, it. I my answer because I would not do good at supermarket sweep compared to Mike. <laughs> don't put me on the same episode. Yeah, yeah. It'd just be a different episode. Different episode. Yeah. Two champions. <laughs> two champions battling it out. I like to I like to thank our sponsors for the day: McCormick, <laughs> uh, Whole Foods, and Amazon Prime. Uh, <laughs> That's right. No, no joke. Side note: really good friend of mine was just this last year on the new supermarket sweep. Was a contestant. She oh, was. Cool. She was on it. I was like super impressed. It was very fun watching someone you know on TV. Yeah. But uh, anyways, enough about that. Let's jump into this. So our our guest our, our guest of honor, Mike. I want to start with you. Um, there's something you know, that you, we, our last short discussion that you talked about that really intrigued me. And it, it's this alpha program that you, you brought up and, you know, not to, I, I'm not going to be able to do it justice. So if you could just kind of talk about your, I mean, yourself, but also how that led up to the alpha program, what that is. I mean, do you have the stage? Take us away. Yeah. yeah I mean, um, my, the story of my uh, sort of personal and professional life is that I grew up hating school. Like I had a visceral hatred for school. I despised it. And my mother was a teacher. So this didn't work well in my house. <laughs> um, like me hating school. I literally only went to school because I uh, enjoyed playing basketball and I was on the team. And then I joined the speech and debate team. 
And I knew that I could miss school on Thursdays and Fridays if I signed up to go to every speech and debate tournament. Wow. So like <laughs> when I was in high school, I missed a lot of school. Um, I constantly like bucked at the system and made mockeries of things that people really thought were important. Um, there was a guy in my high school who really wanted to be class president and he had like done everything that good students do. And I thought it would be cool to run and beat him just because I thought it would be funny. Um, having a great experience and learning a lot in that experience. But like I ran a campaign where I didn't post any signs in school. I like only use Facebook and digital advertising because I thought that was edgy. And I wore a suit every day with a whistle. And I like broke up fights and like helped kids cross the street. I did all these like. (laughs) This is incredible. It's guerrilla marketing. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't remember the guy's name, but do you remember the congressman that was running and he was like, he got really excited. Um, I did that. I, I stole that from him in my election speech. It was ridiculous. I got every single vote except for two of them. And <laughs> like, I'm sure that guy hates me to this day. But oh like, my <laughs> gosh. You trolled him. You trolled yeah. him his whole entire, like he, he had been told his whole life that he must achieve this in order to become the real, like president of the United States. Yeah. And you come yeah. in, Mike's like, listen, right. none of this, none of this matters. None of this counts. Yeah. And his mom <laughs> His mom was head of the, the PTO. And so like it was a oh, it was, no. there was big time beef when we like prom planning. <laughs> and so like that experience is kind of like it's kind of how I've always viewed the school system, even as an adult. Like I, right. I when I went into the traditional school system as a teacher, I heard people tell me things about how to teach. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not like I'm not going to do that. Um, I instead of lecturing the whole class period, I was obsessed with figuring out how I could have my students build their own learning experience. Um, I was like hell bent on borrowing from other professional worlds like sports and business to make school more exciting. Because the thing about school is that it never felt real to me, right? In, In 2007, I had an algebra teacher that looked at me and said, you have to show your work because you won't have a calculator with you at all times when you grow up. And my friend whips out his brand new AT&T iPhone. And he was like, well, what about this? And so she kicks us out of class instead of saying my bad, like she kicked us out of class. So that, that was the way I viewed school. Um, all of this matters because in my interview to help build this new school project that at the time was called Emergent Academy that we would later rebrand and called Alpha. The first question that I was asked was tell me about your school experience growing up. And the first words out of my mouth were, I hated school to which the guy interviewing me was like, Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> like to this day, he'll tell you, like I hired Mike because the first thing he told me was that he hated school. And sorry, I'm having trouble hearing. Oh, <laughs> it happens to be twice a day. The, the um, watch goes yeah. things start talking to you. But yeah. ju- just to recap though, just to re- I feel like you skipped a step. You hated school growing up and now we're talking, you're a teacher. So, right. So yeah. How did that? How did that happen? So I yeah I told you that my only reasoning for going to school was to because I was on the speech team. Uh, I did speech and debate in high school and college. Um, the the same guy that gave me the uh, the we- the weapons. They gave us the weapons. Uh, Brett and I decided to go to college together, and we did speech and debate together. We competed against each other in high school. Um, but because I had this expertise in this very niche area, which was the speech and debate world. I was asked by a friend to help rebuild the speech program at a school. 
Mm. And I thought, oh, that'd be cool because that's not a normal job. Um, and I was like, yeah, whatever. I, I can I can go back into the school world. I actually found through that experience that I loved working with students. And I loved working with students in non-traditional ways because to watch a student go from like not knowing how to give a public speech to winning tournaments and qualifying for state and qualifying for nationals and becoming one of the best public speakers in the country was exciting to me. And while I was there, I also coached basketball and like just learning how to communicate and build relationships with young people, I actually got a real kick out of. And I realized that the best teachers that I had, they were experts in that and not content. And so that year, it sort of unlocked something in me to where I was like, actually, I, I think I want to pursue this education thing. And the, my reasoning was, is because I wanted to create a, an experience that was different than the one that I had so that like no student would have to experience the horrors that I experienced when I was in school. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I got into teaching. That's awesome. It's amazing, man. So sorry, you were talking about the the alpha. I'm sorry, I interrupted. Oh no, it's no, all good. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, it's great. That was a great. That was a great. Uh, uh, great catch. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I he he hired me because I initially told him I hated school, and I actually came to Alpha under a similar pretense was that they wanted to build a public speaking program, and it's very hard to find people who can do that, to find people who have enough of a track record um, and who are talented enough who have the skill themselves to do that. Um, so I, that, that was why I started, um, I ended up building initially like what would be the middle school program. And, and I, I helped a little bit build the high school program. And it was in that building, in that situation where I really, really got in uh, like a keen understanding of exactly what is missing in the traditional model of school. So Alpha is an incredible school where, um, instead of teachers standing up and lecturing, you use what's called adaptive learning software to deliver all of the academic content. So in short, adaptive learning software is like, it's, it's the algorithm that's running on Amazon. You buy a shirt and the algorithm's like, oh, Frank's like, Frank likes Nike shirts. Maybe you'll also like Nike shorts and it suggests that content to you. Uh, imagine that with math problems. You have a fifth grade math problem, you get that correct. The algorithm says, oh, you know fifth grade math, you might know the next iteration of this problem. It can move you up and down through the content based on your performance. That Those apps, we believe, were so effective that you could replace direct instruction with them, freeing up time during the day, right? It only required about 25 minutes per subject per day, which if you think about the academic subjects, it's only two hours. So you ask, well, what do you do with the rest of the day? Well, you teach life skills. You teach the things that everybody says, oh, I wish I had learned this in school, you know, financial literacy. Um, public speaking, theater, like all the things that people love about school. You have adults create these edgy workshops um, where you teach new, you create new ways to learn those skills. So instead of just public speaking, I, uh, I taught magic. Like I learned how to do magic tricks and I hooked kids in learning to do public speaking through magic. I was like, look, we're going to put on a magic show and you wow. have to be better than me at magic. Wow. I've been practicing for two months. And so by the end, you, I, I, had a, I had a student who looked at me, he's nine, and he's like, I see what you did. You think, you think, you think you're slick. And I was like, what? He says, this whole thing's a magic trick. You tricked me into giving a speech. 
and I hate speeches. <laughs> <laughs> but this is at the end of the workshop. I'm like, sorry, damage is done, bro. Now, now, now you're an expert. Right? <laughs> oh, now you're an expert. Sorry. Yeah. Put this on LinkedIn. And so, yeah, right. Um, what's incredible about Alpha uh, is that the number one, like we we basically made three promises to parents, and these were the north star. The number one and most important is love of school. And what I learned through pursuing love of school was that, um, and by the way, at Alpha, I mean, Alpha was essentially, it, it feels more like a software company than it does a school, right? I mean, it's, there is acquisition play that I can't fully explain because I don't fully understand it. Uh, but there, there is an acquisition part of the, I mean, al- that's why it's called Alpha and not Alpha Academy or Alpha School, because it actually is much more than a school. There's a software development arm, um, there are going to be things that show up in the world of education and tech in the near future that come out of that place that pe- that are going to make people's eyes pop. Um, you know, I'm no longer there, but they think they're slick. They're starting a school in Brownsville. Why would you start a school in Brownsville? Because there's a certain very large company that's interested in space in Brownsville that you might want to might want to provide a place for their children to go to school. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, SpaceX, SpaceX. So I, you know, but I think pursuing love of school and learning to do that every day, it really helped me to understand why companies like Google build ping pong competition courts and have massage studios and coffee flavored ice cream and three restaurants. Because if you can convince a person to, yeah, Google Austin is like, (laughs) it's lit in there. Um, If you can convince a person, adult or child, that they love what they're doing and they love where they do it, you can you can get them to do anything for you. I mean, anything. So like, because we had an environment that students loved coming to, I mean, legitimately, I mean, you had parents that would, that would say, the only way I can punish my kid now is saying, I'll make you stay home from school. Like that wow. was the environment that we were able to create. And because of that, I, I, I learned that like, that's why like when I, when you guys told me about love as a business strategy, I was like, oh, game over, absolutely. Because, has a strategy for school, for business, for sports, for anything. If you can convince a person that they love what they're doing and where they're doing it, their production will be through the roof. Like, like their buy-in will be through the roof. The results you get will be through the roof. And we've seen that firsthand. It's unreal, man. I love it. It's, it's this the craziest thing I've ever heard. Like, like the the concept is wild, but interestingly, like for me, like, like we homeschool our kids, right? So me too. And that was a conscious choice that, that we made at the beginning of our relationship, my wife and I's relationship. We talked about the school system, education system, et cetera. And they're done with their school in about two hours a day. Sometimes yep. it's an hour and a half. Sometimes they wake up and they're like, they hit the books and by nine 30 or 10 AM their day is freed up and yeah. she takes them out on walks and does nature stuff. I mean, she, I, I, it's, it's amazing to me because there was one day where my kids had woken up and my daughter got really proactive this one particular day and she had all her schoolwork done at 8.05. And the reason wow. why I remember this is because the school bus came and picked up the kids on the street at 8.05. And you see all these other kids kind of funneling out. And she, she looked at me because I was walking outside um, and she said, when are they going to be home? Mm. And I said, 4, 4.30? And she asked, what do they do all day? <laughs> they say, like, what, what do they do all day? And I was like, they hate it. It's just yeah, yeah. like a prison. Like it, yeah. it, and, and it's, and it's, you know, it's, 
essentially like a childcare type environment where it's just, yeah. it's, it's crafted in a way so that people can provide for themselves, but it's not taking into consideration the opportunities that it can mm-hmm. afford that time. And so yeah. it's fascinating to me, Mike, is like this complete overhaul to the education system and the structure founded on love is, is wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think homeschool is the best, like, people people used to say to us when I was at Alpha, like, they're like, oh, you guys took the best of Montessori. And mm-hmm. I would often say, no, actually what we did was we took the best homeschool and we we turned it into, we gave it this custodial right. um, structure. Aspect, right? yeah. yeah, like we created that for, and I think homeschool is, a, my kids are also homeschooled. And I, I, I get excited when people say, because now homeschooling is, um, it's becoming more prevalent because everybody was forced to do it for a while. Um, but we were also like the school system was caught with its pants down, so to speak, because you saw people that didn't know how to react. Because if you think about the way school is structured, it is mostly structured with adults in mind. Right. Like we just talked like, why do kids go to school from eight to four thirty? Because parents are at work and exactly. it's really inconvenient. Right. Like we've now to- we've created a society where we've told everyone that both parents should be working. Right. And, and that regardless of how people feel about that, that's what happened. Both parents are now at work and and like I don't care which parent stays home. I, I think a lot of people would argue that, like, if that's possible for you or if it's possible for both of you to stay home and you can control everything that your kid learns, most people would choose that. Um, I don't know. What to say. I don't know. If, I don't know what to say most, but a lot of people, more people than you'd expect would probably choose that. Mm-hmm. Um and the reason why I know that's because they're in my DMs on Twitter and on LinkedIn. <laughs> like, like they're 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 asking me like, "Yo, how do you do it?" Um, homeschooling was a fight between my wife and I. Mm. I. I was working in the school system, and I was like, "We can't, we can't homeschool our children." <laughs> I am working. <laughs> yeah. So like, that's but she, my wife was right the entire time. It was it, it ended up being the best thing because the 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 foundation of love that comes from the home. It comes from a person who values my children more than anyone else on planet earth. Mm. Like that, that's who's right. The same for your, your house. Like, well, yeah. My wife. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the people who value your children, there's nobody who would care for your child more than you. Will. Nobody. And, and so that's why homeschooling is special. It's not necessarily because of the flexibility of the curriculum. Yeah. Right. It's because like at the end of the day, like people can argue about what's the best homeschool curriculum and they do. And I always insert myself in those arguments. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, it will all come out in the wash. You're you're over here. Bre- you're over here breaking the mold again. <laughs> yeah, I love it. No, but I think that's fascinating. And like, so yeah, you're right. It, it the foundation of love is core. Yep. And you can replicate that foundation in the business world. You can replicate that in in the the music industry. You can replicate that in any place. Yep. And like you said, I think like my my takeaway from what you were talking about was, if you can create an environment where people love where they work and love what they do, they can do anything. Yeah. That to me is foundational, but it also requires the leadership to be bought into that vision. Mm-hmm. So I want to, I want to ask you a little bit about that culture that was crafted, not, not with the students, not with the magic trick opportunities and like the, the, the ability to kind of create that curriculum yeah. that there's freedom there. So I, I kind of guess where the culture was, but I'm wondering from your perspective, how was the leadership and how was the culture of the way you interacted with other teachers and facilitators. What was that like at Alpha? So Alpha is an interesting experiment in that um, Alpha still is unlearning the worst of tech culture. 
in, mm. in terms of employees. Um, if you can get adults to tell you the truth about their experience at Alpha, you'll you'll see that there is tr there actually is a dichotomy. And the the the, the analogy that I, I give people all the time is Disney World, is that you don't know what kind of day Mickey Mouse is having underneath that suit. For for a kid, it doesn't matter. Like it it doesn't it does not matter. And it and Disney World like when they're like, look, when this park opens, I don't care if you got broken up with. I don't care who died. Like Disney World is like show up and like bring the heat because yeah. this is freaking Disney World. That's literally what what is being said at Alpha. Like at Alpha, they're like, look, if you need to miss work, go take care of yourself. But when you are in this building, you come when prepared. that's when that first student walks in this building, the, the phrase that they used to say is bring the dinosaurs. They're like, if you show up at Jurassic Park and the dinosaurs are not out. And they're not working, and like they're like they're like bring the dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. And, I love that, man. That's great. Yeah, and and so I'll be honest. It's a hard environment to work in from, right. from that perspective. Um, it Alpha is not like it's not for everybody um, mm. in terms of, and and I th I do think that um, amongst the adults, there are things that need to change so that you can retain talent. But the so behavior behavior is is impact is important here, right? Like yes. the way you treat employees, team members, all that stuff is valuable. Right. And and I think um one of the things I used to harp on when I was at actually at Alpha was and still today, um, like it's, right now it's it's a lot, of, it's really popular for people to rag on WeWork because it blew up. Um and and I am the first to admit that I think Adam Newman needs therapy or he needs a hug or something i don't know just, like, a hug, just one, some, yeah, one single yeah. human embrace right um you know but i think what was so good about what we were created was the idea of environment but also community they mm -hmm. they figured out like like I, I think we live the we live experiment which was when they basically created dormitories and i've been inside of a we live um it, it literally is a, it's a very fancy college dorm in the middle of New York City. Like uh, when they created that project, um, I had a friend who worked uh, at, at WeWork. He was the head of their global evangelism effort. And I, I often talked to him about what the culture was really like, not about what the reports say or the documentaries say. Right. And the number one thing he says, he was like, the crazy thing is that people at WeWork really cared about each other so much so to where when they did the we live experiment like if people left the building like everybody else would be checking on that person like yo are you all right like hey it's 11 30 are you like you good and and while it's easy for us to step back and be like that feels kind of like a cult and a maybe it, yeah yeah, maybe. yeah like Maybe a lot, like, <laughs> you know, like the summer camp thing was weird, but the, those people that live there, they will tell you, they're like some of my deepest and closest relationships came from that. And yeah. so I, I think there's something to be learned from, from the idea that community is so important at the employee level and at, at between employee and, and leadership um, for, for any business or school, like, I can tell you that the business world understands this far better than the education community. I see. Okay. Yeah. Education's obsessed with hierarchy. Yeah, and I think I think another connection I drew hearing your story, I think you mentioned 
um, early in your career, you talked about trying to bring technology to replace teaching. Mm -hmm. Kind of like you talked about that um, briefly there, but like early on, like people looked at you crazy. And when you first brought that to me, I was also looking at you crazy because on paper, <laughs> on paper, it seems like that's the opposite of like humanistic kind of love based yeah. philosophy. Cause you're saying you're trying to replace humans, but like humans are where, you know, what we're all about. We're all about mm -hmm. bringing humanity back to the workplace about bringing, you know, looking at humanity. And, but the way you explain, can you explain kind of, yeah. Once you said this, it changed my mind. I was like, I was like, oh, I get it. I get yeah. why Re replacing teaching with technology actually it is right. more loving. Yeah. The the thing I think the thing to note is that my I advocate to replace teaching, not the teacher. Um, I want the the role of the teacher to change. And if okay. if we allow the rote part of that job, if we allow those parts to be outsourced to technology then they can free up teachers to do what truly is special. Uh, I, I did this poll on LinkedIn. I, I, I told people to do this test. I was like, answer these three questions. One, how many of your teachers do you actually remember? Like you remember their name and their face. And two, how many of them would you label phenomenal teachers? Like, like great. And most people, they were like, I can't get past number one. <laughs> I don't remember any of them. And, and I, asked, I asked people that question because Teacher training programs, including the one that I work for, um, Teach for America, which I, I have no problem. My job is to criticize this organization. Um, and the reason, the way I was, I'll put it like this. James Baldwin, uh, James Baldwin said this about America. He said, I love America so deeply that I, I reserve the right to criticize her fiercely. Right? Mm -hmm. And that, I, I think I might have butchered that quote. But something along it, it the lines of that. It's so good, though, man. Like, yeah. real good. But I mean, that, that's along the line. And that's, that's my relationship to education. I have learned that I love this field and I love students and people so deeply that I reserve the right to criticize the education community, teachers, school leaders, superintendents. I, I reserve the right to criticize them harshly because I want to see this community do better. And, and so I, I, I think if we're honest about teachers, the, the major, the vast majority of teachers are average at best, because teacher training programs are all about classroom management. They're not about building relationships. They're certainly not about loving students, and they're actually not even about content expertise. Wow. So, the best teachers we often find. I was having a conversation over coffee this morning, where I had two guys do this test, and they named three or four teachers, and they were like, "Oh, but it." It was the way that they challenged me or the way that they supported me. It's often that. It's not like, oh, you know what? Mr. Johnson was the best algebra lecturer I've ever had. Uh, yeah. Sometimes you have a lecturer that stands out. Like I had a college professor, James McWilliams. He was the greatest history lecturer I had ever, I had ever heard in my life. But he was also great because in a 300-person lecture hall, he knew everybody's name. No matter where you – like I walked in one day. I was late, and he said, Mike Yates. Why are you late to my, my class? And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, I woke up late and he was like, come on, man. You know I'm the most entertaining professor at this university. Don't be <laughs> late. Now you got to come sit up here in the front next to me. Right? And like, you oh, know, like, yes. like, we're all laughing. It's all good. But like, he knew how to make you feel special in that room. Wow. That's that's what great teaching is. It's about the relationship. And, and so I I advocate that we remove the content and that we remove the grading 
and that we remove the attendant, like taking attendance and let technology do that mm -hmm. because it'll make room for teachers to do what's special. Um, and the, the last thing I'll say here uh, on this is, is to think about it this way. If people question the effectiveness of technology, when, when your child goes to school and they're behind, or let's say they get in trouble and they go to in-school suspension, do you know what they do? They put them on adaptive learning software. They give them Khan Academy or they give them Newzella or, or they, they give them iXL or something called iStation. And that's how they remediate. That's how they catch up kids who are behind. So if you follow the logic, if I can catch up in half a year, what would happen if I stayed on the app the whole year? In theory, I would accelerate, right? So why not do what's best for them? <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, like, so th this topic is really personal to me. My my mom spent her entire career, she's retired now, but she spent her entire year uh, career teaching um, special ed in elementary school, mm -hmm. which I had a great amount of respect for. And then my, my sister is, is is has been an elementary school teacher for almost two decades. And, and since we, you know, we, I've been thinking about this concept since you shared it a while, I mean, since we last talked, which is a while back. But since then, uh, you know, my, my sister has a great amount of passion for teaching and kids. And if you talk to her, you know, she has this huge heart, it's all this love uh, in her heart for kids and seeing them grow and developing them. And, you know, my entire life, really, from my mom and my sister, I've only heard about the barriers that they face, whether it's mm. po political, financial rules, regulations. Um, I don't know how, how much I'm supposed to be sharing, but my, my sister, she has a huge passion for art. She's really, really talented. She's really gifted at, yeah. at sharing that, that with kids and stuff like that. She mixes it into the way she teaches and stuff like that. But she wanted to make a career change, a lateral career change to be an art teacher, just because that way she can you know, specialize in doing like, and, and the amount of hoops she's had to jump through. Yeah. Even though she'd be a phenomenal, like her principal says she'd be great. Her principal's like, I wish you were the art teacher, mm. but just for, for all the other like reasons she had to go pay money to get a different certification right. just to apply. She had to do all that. And then when she did all that, and then finally like said, okay, I've done it all. I've got, I passed I had to study art history and all these other things. She had to memorize yeah. all these things that, I mean, who cares, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. And she got there. And then when she applied, they said, oh, in this school district, um, you have to have a, a degree in art to teach art history, to, to teach oh, art, sorry, sorry, to elementary yeah. school teachers. Like literally she was turned, even though she would hands down be one of the best art teachers these kids would ever have. She'd pour, you know, everything into it. And she does. Um, She's sitting there just going, just baffled. I'm baffled. And we're, I'm just, it's, and it reminds me of kind of like where everything you're saying just makes so much more sense because, you know, where, where's the focus here? Where's the, you know, we're talking about, if we're looking at outcomes, if we're looking at what's best for kids, if we're looking at all that, I mean, none of it made sense to me. None of it added up. And it's like teachers, and I know firsthand, not firsthand, I guess secondhand, but for my family, like just how much of the actual, part of their day is teaching and how much mm -hmm. of it is like you can call it paperwork or right like regulatory things and then how much of it is like caring for kids yeah and I know you said that most teachers are average I agree in the teaching part but so many teachers I mean yep. just in this country you can't do it unless you know the amount you're being paid for you can't do it unless you care 
Yep. So the, the amount, the amount of like love they have for it is, is off the charts in a lot of cases. And, but the amount, the percentage of time you're able to, to give that love in your day to day is so small. It's like your passion lies in like that 10% that yeah. you can give. And the rest has to be what the book says, what mm-hmm. the rules say, what the, you know, all that regulatory stuff. Yeah. And it, and, and, it, and, it, and I know I've been talking a lot, but it connects back. I, I keep connecting it back to love as a anything strategy, <laughs> but yeah. even as a, as a business strategy, you're talking about, you know, in, in the workplace, I'm often as a leader, especially I'm often tasked with training or mentoring or teaching essentially. Yeah. And the same kind of patterns can play true. And whether you, when you have that passion for helping someone, when you have that passion for actually seeing people develop and grow, the experience is completely different yeah. from when you're just there to do it as a job. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, I just, I, it resonates a lot with all the things that you say about the system itself. It's refreshing to criticize it. I think a little bit because, yeah. because it's, it, my, my son is going to start kindergarten in, in, in fall. And I'm terrified. I'm like, yeah. I'm like terrified because I'm not homeschooling. We both, my wife and I both work. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, is he going to get enough attention? Is he going to get, yeah. you know, enough care? Is someone going to look out for him? Is he going to be yeah. bullied? And if, if so, is someone going to intervene and like, you know, not protect him, but like, like let everyone know that what's going on in that environment, share all the important life lessons that I would if I were there. Right. Right. Yeah. I think you make such a great point, Jeff. I'm so glad you shared that, that story because that's the other part of the conversation that nobody's having. Right. It's that like I, I, I had this debate with somebody um, online where I, I, I told them it was like, by and large, no teacher gets into this business for the wrong reason. Like for the like, trust me, most people ain't getting into this for the paycheck. Right. Like there are easier. There are less hoops that you can jump through. Like I, I, when I was when I was a, I was like a second year teacher and I met a I met a manager at a at a, I think it was Brahms. It was like an ice cream shop. Okay. And I was like, he, he was hiring. And I, I looked at that sign that they posted and the salary was like $10,000 higher than my salary. And I was like, that's what you get paid. He said, Oh, I'm a general manager, bro. I get paid way more than that. And I was like, how long have you worked here? He was like five years. And I, I, I legitimately that day thought about quitting my job and going to work at the ice cream shop across the street. And I also, I know that like, I don't like when uh, uh, people like like say like, ah, teachers get paid and managers at fast food restaurants get paid this. That's ridiculous. Cause there's a whole nother bag of stuff that managers at fast food restaurants have to deal with that I don't want to deal with but, like a whole nother. But when I thought about that, like nobody, no, no teachers getting into this for the money. Right. No, it's just not. And I, I do believe that every single teacher cares deeply for students, but the, the, the sad reality is that the system is not allowing them to do that, right? Like I, the, the worst teacher I know, and I, I, if, if you evaluate him from a content expertise and from a teaching strategy and technique and all the stuff that they tell you, he's horrible. But the reason why he's in the classroom is because he can connect with any single student. It doesn't, I watched him, uh, there's a student that was falling asleep in his classroom. 
And I was like, man, what are you going to do about that? And he said, oh, it's fine. I, I worked it out with him. And I found out that that student had three jobs and was working those. He was working at Sonic and then he was doing a night shift at Walmart. And then he was like basically flipping sneakers during the day. And he he told him and this guy, the, the teacher who's supposed to keep kids awake and keep kids in line, looked at him. He said, look, we'll work something out. Started creating YouTube videos of his lessons that were not very good, but of his, his lessons for the the total act was phenomenal, but he was fired from that school because he couldn't control his class because there was a kid's, right? So the system is not allowing, like your sister's not allowing teachers to care, you know? This is not, this is not a shot at people with an art major, right? <laughs> but, 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 I, but I imagine the people that the, the small pool of people who have art degrees yeah did, didn't set out to teach elementary kids right right so you're, you're saying so you're telling me that the requirement here is that i need that kind of person when i have people right here ready mm -hmm. to enlighten these kids to really pour the heart into these kids yeah and it is so backwards to me so it's, it's it upsetting it's upsetting to me to be honest now everybody's angry guys now <laughs> the whole, everyone listening to this podcast everybody's frustrated i mean if you've seen my, if you've met my sister, you know, like she, she would, wouldn't find a better art teacher. I mean, she's already a great teacher. She teaches like second, third, fourth grade, like, but those are you, special you, people that teach elementary school. Yeah, yeah, she's she's doing it for almost two decades, and it's like yeah. she's amazing. And it, I just, wow. I, it, 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 like, it makes me want to like go knock on whoever's door I have to. I think it's a superintendent or somebody who who like yeah. basically made the call. And I'm like, you're crazy. Yeah. And this is the same school districts that I'm sending my kid to in fall, making these kind of decisions. Yeah. And I'm like, what's going on? But I'll, t I'll tell you the best thing that I think parents can do though, really like, and you talk, I mean, like really, I, I really mean this is like, you talk about love as a business strategy, love as a teaching strategy. I mean, that's it. Like going to that teacher, like, especially cause like Jeff, you know, like you have you, like you, you, you are not experiencing this secondhand. This is firsthand. The families of teachers are, are often like the reason why I made the moves I did to get out of the classroom is because I just couldn't keep giving my family less. And, and I, I knew that like my mom, my mom was a teacher. I come from a family of teachers. I remember watching her give everything to those classrooms because that's what you're supposed to do. That's what they tell you. You give everything to your students. And I remember her watching, I remember watching her try to give the rest to me and and just passing out at the end of the day. So you did experience it firsthand. You know what I'm saying? I think the best thing you can do is go to that teacher and say, what do you need? Like, what can I help you with? What can I give you? Um, and maybe maybe it's like, maybe you actually can't give any time or any anything, but I'm that question for that teacher is gonna be, like knowing that the parent community has their back. I used to, in my education career, wanna box parents out. And there's actually a guy on LinkedIn, his name is Matt Barnes. He has sort of helped me understand the role of a parent and also being a parent myself. Like I understand that the role of a parent is so vital, not even necessarily to support the child, but to cater who you're trusting with your child, right? And the, the best relationships I had with parents when they came into my classroom and they were like, hey, let me pick this paper up. And it took five minutes and I thought nothing of it at the time. But over time, I realized like, Oh, they care about me being able to do my job. Mm. And so really, I think with a system that that is ignoring all of those things, I think that's the best thing any parent can do is just to step in and be like, hey, what like what can I what can I do for you really quick? 
like give them that gift of hospitality. Like on the art teacher discussion, it's such a crazy, there's, there's, there are like many debates about art teachers, period. I mean, like I, I taught with a guy named Chris Bond who he has a piece of art hanging in a museum in Fort Worth next to Andy Warhol. And he had trouble getting into an art classroom. <laughs> Right. And so, you know, he 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 said it's the thing he said to me once is he was like, anybody who's talented and who loves art, they should just know it's supposed to be hard to get into a school system because it, like schools, schools reward people that play by the rules and art by its very nature is people who color outside the lines and who teach kids that. Right. So <laughs> he's like, just know anybody, anybody striving to be an art teacher that's having trouble, just just know that. They don't understand us. <laughs> Get your PhD and then another one and then another one. Yeah. It's like minimum, part, minimum part, requirement is six. Six PhDs. That's right. It's partially validating that it's not just a singular. I mean, it's, it's right. extra frustrating. But it's even more frustrating now because you're yeah. like, this is a, this is an actual systemic thing that's happening around everywhere. Yeah. No, but I, I did. I mean, I appreciate that. I mean, I, this is really, 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 yeah, it's become very personal to me as we talked about it. But, uh, but, yeah. but I wanted to also bring it back to, you know, the, the overall topic of like, yeah. you know, love, love as a business strategy. I mean, schools ultimately are basically businesses as well in, yeah. in, in the broadest sense. Right. And, um, you know, I think that we, we, Frank and myself and the, you know, the other podcast and authors of, of love as a business strategy, we, we spend our every waking moment of our days, essentially looking at the world around us and finding like, we basically think in terms of love as a blank strategy nowadays. And, yeah. um, and um, I, I was really excited to hear kind of your thoughts around, you know, today you've already shared a lot of them um, around, but like around this problem statement as it exists, even broadly, right. Even yeah. as, outside just kids and teachers, but like, what, where do you think the path forward is in, in getting society, if you will, to more of a place of like love mattering? Yeah. I, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll say up front, I am, I am a Christian and I believe what the Bible says. And I've always told people like, regardless of what you believe about this book or about me personally, one of the most pervasive messages in that book is that love truly is the answer to most things, right? Like if you're having a problem with your neighbor, like try to serve that person out of love and see what happens, right? Like mm -hmm. it's all, it's got all these lessons about love. Right. And there are like so many different people, philosophers, like this message about love has been proliferated through the world for many, many centuries. Um, and, and I really do, like the song, it always comes to mind for me, like all you need is love. <laughs> and some, so many people are like, ah, that's like idealistic, but it's actually true. When you break down human interaction in, in any sort of part of society, um, one of the people who I love listening to and talking to is somebody named Irshad uh, Manji. And she runs a program called Moral Courage. And Moral Courage is, it's about doing the right thing in the face of adversity. And she has a lot of content recently about this this culture of calling people out rather than calling people in like we understand that racism and sexism and all the isms exist but it doesn't do anyone any good to look at them and say you know what you're just a racist because if you stop there 
<laughs> like all you've done is just all you've done is label somebody. The best thing to do is call people in, which, as Irshad puts it, is the ultimate act of love to call someone in who does not believe what you believe or who believes something the, the complete opposite of you. And people will call you crazy. They will say that you are wrong. But at the end of the day, if if human beings care for other human beings, which is an act of love, then then like we we truly will be OK. Right. Like, like if, if we if we just decided to take care of each other and if we just decided that, that, that like uh, the person next to you is as important as yourself, like if, if we just decided that those things were true, then in society, in business, in school, in in sports, in music, like we would be OK. And I'll tell you this, the reason why I'm excited, I, why I love that you guys are teaching love as a business strategy while you're pushing this message is because I. I genuinely believe, I, be, I really do believe that um, the business community, specifically um, specifically tech and entrepreneurship, um, is going to lead, as they have been, is going to lead the next set of innovations that sustain the world for the next 30 to 50 years. And my message to the education community is like, pay attention to Mark Zuckerberg and pay attention to Elon Musk and pay attention to the entrepreneur down the road who you don't know, because those strategies are going to be the ones that we need to start borrowing from. I, I, I believe that to my core. If you look at, look at the NBA, the, the most, like the highest paid NBA players are all doing what? Getting into business. They're, and this, pe people are gonna call me crazy, but you heard it here first. Do it. School is going to become a business. Jeff Bezos stepped down from Amazon. Do you know what he did right after that? He opened Jeff Bezos Academy. Elon Musk is in the school business. The guys who built his school at Astra, they have a school called Synthesis School. There is going to become a business of school that hovers around the public sector. And when those models figure out how to become financially accessible to other people, it is like the public school system must figure out a way to survive and the only way is to borrow from them. And all of these founders are saying the same thing about kids. Start with love of school, right? Like start with understanding the like human-centered design. And so I, I really think love as a business strategy is so important because it's applicable so many different places. I'm going to shout out. There's a, there's, a, there's a school founder in Atlanta, Georgia. Her name is Michaela Streeter. Everyone needs to know Michaela because she is going to be the next big thing in education. She founded a school called Life School. Um, it, it is a high school where you can customize your learning experience. It's a brick and mortar school. And when she had families that came to her and said, hey, we also have a preschool age child. Like, can you build something? She just built it. Michaela is one of the most impressive people I know. She got degrees from Stanford and MIT and all the all the all the stuff. But none of that matter. What matters is that when she walks into a school building, students run up to her. And I was on a call with her and a student as they were she, they were designing a sneaker together. And the way that she she and the student communicated, you could tell that there was a deep relationship there. And I asked her, "What's the secret?" And she said, "I just care." I just deeply care for that other person next to me. So I, th I think like as much as when those school leaders start to talk really loud and their voices become as big as Gary Vaynerchuk and, 
And when, when, when Elon Musk starts to really care about school and you find a way to buy in and when, when pe people are able to do crowdfunding investments into schools, which is coming very soon, right? Like I think love as a business strategy also becomes love as a teaching strategy and love yeah. as a school building strategy, right? Like what, what you guys are creating is going to be like groundbreaking and fundamental in its simplicity and in its importance. Yeah. Man, I'm over here like just jazzed. <laughs> like I, this is crazy stuff, man. It's amazing. To, it's amazing to hear how, I mean, number one, you're on the bleeding edge, not even the cutting edge. Like there is clearly blood has been drawn here. You are on the bleeding edge. And it's very interesting to see this perspective as to what you're doing now. Now you're with teach for America, right? That's, that's what you're doing today. Yep. Um, and so our, like my last thought here, my, my last question is really, what does your current role look like and how does that factor into what your vision and values and purpose and mission are mm, Yeah, where you want to be? Yeah. So I get, this is a great note to end on. Um, I'm in a part of Teach for America called the Reinvention Lab. And um, my story with Teach for America is that seven years ago I applied and these same ideas that I'm talking about on this podcast, I was talking about in my interview. Okay. And my, my interviewer in San Antonio, I'll never forget this. She stopped me and said, there is a place for you in education, I think, but it is not here. I think. Yeah. She said, it's not here. They sent me packing like, and now Did I've been, yeah, I, I've been hired for the same reason <laughs> that they, that they rejected me for seven years ago. Um, and as a matter of fact, there is somebody on Teach for America's executive management team who was the executive director of that region that I interviewed. And, and she does not know the story. I have not talked to her about it yet, but I will one day. Um, the reason why so I joined- Just this, just send this pocket. Right. <laughs> it's unreal, um, man. No, the reason why I joined the Reinvention Lab is because um, the same sort of thing, the James Baldwin quote, right? Like that the lab was started by a people, a group of people who love what Teach for America is and does, but recognize the real hurt and pain that the organization has caused communities and has caused individual people. And Teach for America, it is well-documented online. Teach for America has caused like lots of pain and has made lots of mistakes as an organization. Teach for America has also done a lot of, a lot of real good. Um, and, and, and there's lots of things that I can debate people about that I don't. Um, but I came into the organization with no love for Teach for America because the environment that I was introduced to um, and the way that the lab functions is one where like, like, like I say, like love or care is very much so a strategy of, of the lab, listening to people, giving them credit uh, for the work that they do, um, making sure that people are seen and heard. And some of that feels very slow sometimes. It, it's not like the tech world where like your, your speed is more important than all of that. Um, it's it's a different community than Alpha, um, very different, and uh, that's why I joined because out of a love for the organization, we're going to ask the hard questions and 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 save the tough things, and basically the way that we work and here's what we do we we have a community we have a, a network of more than two thousand education organizations and social entrepreneurs. These are all people who are working to make the future of learning happen. It might be ed tech. Uh, it might be a school like the one I mentioned earlier, the life school. Um, there's a school, amazing, amazing, amazing founders 
Um, there's one that I can think of called B360. Uh, Brittany Young is an amazing founder who's in Baltimore, who's building a STEM program where she teaches STEM through dirt bikes. Um, like in, in, in Baltimore, that means a lot more than it does to people in tech. In Baltimore, it's illegal to have a dirt bike on the street. Um, and so many uh, black, like young black teenagers are in a dirt bike culture and uh, police are basically arresting them and brutalizing them in harsh ways uh, for something that really like doesn't make a lot of sense at all. Um, it's it's like the the old like joke that people make, like there's still a law in Texas that you can't like eat fish in a bathtub on Wednesday. Like it feels like that, like one of those ridiculous laws. Well, she's combating this by saying like, you know what, we're teaching them stem through these dirt bikes um and so our our goal is basically basically to say okay Brittany, we want to make sure that you can do this for as long as possible so without centering the lab without without putting our name on it we want to help fund you we want to put you in front of people we want to use the institutional weight of teach for america i've been i can get to most people that i could i could have never dreamed of getting to before because I have a Teach for America email address. And we want to be able to use that institutional power and positioning to make Britney famous and to make the life school famous and to like like to help these innovators continue to innovate so that we can realize a radically different future of learning. Wow. Um, one of the projects that we just did that I'm really proud of is I, I'm, I'm a sneakerhead, I'm obsessed with sneakers. Um, and I'm obsessed with sneaker brands that tell stories. Um, there's a sneaker brand called 99 products that uh, the founder is the guy who created the Yeezy project. So he created the most hype sneaker ever for Kanye West um, and uh, still, you know, maintains value on the resale market. He worked for Everlane and for Koyo and Nike and Cole Hunt. He, this guy is a, a true innovator in the sneaker world. Well, I, I tweeted at him one day and was like, let's talk about what's possible. And he said, all right, let's do it. So we created a competition and a design sprint where we invited organizations from our network in order to get the word out about their, their organization. They designed a sneaker that embodied the future of learning. We had a contest and um, somebody has won. We're not telling anyone who's won, but uh, somebody has won and we're going to drop these sneakers. We're going to actually produce these sneakers and tell the story about the future of learning. And that, that's just an example of like how we're trying to put these organizations on like out in front so people can see what they're doing um, and also do things that nobody's ever thought of that we think are cool and energizing for us as well. That's amazing. Thank you. I love it. I love it. Well, I mean, we're running short on time. I got more, but uh, Mike, is there anything you want to share or plug or, you know, get out there before we go? Uh, no. Well, I mean, yes, I, I guess. Yes. For, but the thing I'll say is I have a partnership in mind for uh, for a product that you guys are building um, that, that I would like to share with our network and I want to work with you guys. So we'll figure that out. We'll talk about that later. Um, all right. All I, right. I, yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> I, I too have a podcast. Uh, it's called Schoolish. And it is, um, uh, I want to have conversations that nobody's having about education, similar to these. And, and this has made me think that I should actually have an episode that breaks down uh, this this dilemma in the art world of education. Uh, there's a debate between art teachers and teaching artists. Um, and, and we should talk about why it's so hard and why it shouldn't be. Um, but yeah, I mean, on that podcast, I have conversations like about really uncomfortable things like how black students are steered away from HBCUs because they're seen as not prestigious enough 
when in, in actuality, they may be the best place for the student. Um, or, you know, college is not the only path to, su to success, all, all of these mm -hmm. things. Um, and then the last thing that I'll plug is our, our sneakers are dropping in, in October. Um, and so you can go to 99products.com uh, or sneakers.reinventionlab.com to learn more. Very That's cool. awesome. That's awesome. And of course, at Love is a Business Strategy here, we're posting new episodes every Tuesday. And if you enjoyed this or you have other topics you want to talk about, you want to give feedback, we'd love it. Software.com slash labs, L-A-A-B-S. We did write a book. It did come out in April. So that is out available on Amazon and booksellers everywhere. It's called Love is a Business Strategy. So I'll plug that as well. Frank's holding one up. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, if you like the podcast, if you like the book, please check us out. You can also visit loveasabusinessstrategy.com to check out all of that. And we appreciate your support. Appreciate you sharing this. And Mike, especially appreciate you joining us today. We had an amazing conversation. Hopefully we can have follow-ups and, and collaborations from here. It was awesome. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you for having me. You guys are great hosts. It's always good awesome, to have a good host. So much fun. All right. And Frank, we'll catch you on the next episode probably, right? I hope so. Co-host, because you're co-host officially. <laughs> All right, signing off. Bye, guys. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.